Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Thank you, Perry Woods. And yes, indeed, The Weekend Report is on your radio. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. We have got a great show planned for you today. Uh, Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to talk to Gabe Pfeiffer, a.k.a. St. John the Philosopher, from the St. John the Philosopher YouTube channel. Gabe was part of my election coverage team in studio as we uh, were uh, covering the vice presidential debate. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Earlier this week, Gabe was in studio with us for that. And so we were able to uh, go on the air immediately after the debate and react to what we just saw. And now that we've had a few days to digest uh, that debate and and its effect on uh, the news cycle, we'll check back in with Gabe and get to get his thoughts now a few days out from that debate. Uh, we're also going to, of course, talk to our buddy Skip Weber a little bit later on. And Chris... The uh, the big headline of today's show is that we are going to be talking to is it is it fair to say your former boss or yes. is that not the OK, your former boss? I, yeah, I don't have a problem with that at all. United States <laughs> Senator uh, Ted Cruz is going to join us in just about uh, just a few minutes here. Um, in the next segment, very much looking forward to talking to Senator Cruz. Obviously, there's not very many bigger newsmakers or bigger names in United States politics than uh, Senator Cruz. And I say that he was uh, Chris Arps's boss because, Chris, you worked on the Cruz 2016 presidential campaign. Tell us a little bit about uh, that experience and why Ted Cruz was your man in 2016. Well, in 2016, Tony was between Ted Cruz and uh, Marco Rubio, the candidates that I wanted to support. I luckily had a connection with Ted Cruz's campaign manager. And so I asked, you know, could I work on the campaign? And, And it worked out. But that is truly the highlight of my political career. If you're a political junkie, 
working on a major presidential campaign, trekking through Iowa and South Carolina on bus tours, meeting the people and just being in that atmosphere. There was nothing like it. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited to have Senator Cruz on to talk about his new book. Mm -hmm. Uh, We should really glean a lot of information. Yeah, the senator's new book is called One Vote Away. I'm sure we'll talk a lot with him about that book. And the subject of the book is the Supreme Court. And I think he he basically uh, illustrates how important every justice on the Supreme Court is. And the one vote away is talking about how many crucial decisions have been made over the years by the Supreme Court on a 5-4 decision. One vote deciding the way that that uh, that particular case ended up. So every spot on the court obviously is very important. And there's a lot to talk about just currently with the Supreme Court, with the Amy Coney Barrett situation, with the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris packing the court idea that they will not, the question that they will not answer. So um, I'm sure we'll get into all of that with Senator Ted Cruz here in just a minute. Uh, first, I wanted to, Chris, ask you about the debate. We, You and I have not had a chance to talk about mm-hmm. the vice presidential debate that happened on Wednesday night. Uh, what was your, what were your, your thoughts? I think uh, Vice President Mike Pence had a very good debate, but I really wasn't surprised by that. Um, He used to be a talk show host. He's a very good uh, communicator. So he did very well. And I think he helped the campaign um, get out points that President Trump uh, didn't do very well getting out in his uh, his debate. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, looked like um, she was angry. Uh, She looked like she was glaring at Vice President Trump when he was uh, calling out her lies. I didn't think she did the campaign a big favor. Uh, One of the glaring things that I took out of the debate, Tony, is Kamala Harris did not get a tough question until 30 minutes and seven questions in. The first seven questions were all questions designed to put the Trump-Pence campaign on uh, on defensive. Uh, Tony, the media doesn't even try to hide their biases anymore, man. I I, I agree, and it's hard to argue that. I mean, even if you— I don't know how any rational thinking person can say that there's not an obvious bias when you watch a debate like that and you watch a debate like uh, two weeks ago when you just take out all the behavior between the president and the and, and former vice president Biden and just look at the format and the questions. It was very similar. The two the two formats and the way that the questions were. It seemed like the question was always to. Mike Pence first, just like it was always to the president first two weeks ago. It was always a a question that, you know, challenged some decision or some action that the Trump-Pence administration has taken, which immediately puts the vice president on the defensive. So he not only has to defend against the question, but then Kamala Harris just there's no tough question for her. So she's able to pile on. And Pence has to defend against the attacks leveled by the other side. And I have no problem with that if it's equal. If if Pence has to answer a tough question and then endure attacks from the other side and defend against those, that's what a debate's all about. But you got to turn it around and do the same thing to the other side. But we uh, – what wouldn't it uh, – did, did she get – Two, three questions total the whole night that were like that 
when every she other got, question went to Mike Pence? I was counting. She got two questions that were hard questions for her that put her on defensive. The, all the other questions were designed to put Trump and Pence campaign um, on the defensive. You know, the vice president received a lot of criticism because he was going over his allotted time, not by, you know, five or six seconds. I mean, he was <laughs> doing five, six sentences past the time. But I think the, the vice president basically calculated that, hey, if I'm going to get all of the tough questions and she's going to get softballs, then I'm going to go over my time to make sure I get all of my talking points in. You know, in. it seemed like he was going over his time every time because Susan Page, the moderator, would cut him off immediately and vice president, you're out of time, yeah. vice president. But if you look at the I, at the time breakdown, that. it's dead even. It's yeah. the, it's like separated by three seconds. 36 so, seconds. So if <laughs> So if... The vice president was what the the idea is. The, what everybody thinks after watching that debate is that he went long on every question. So you would think, man, he went long on every question. He must have talked more. No, he didn't talk more. So yeah. either either she was going long and just wasn't being stopped, or I, I mean, I don't I don't even know another I don't even know another thing it mm-hmm. could be. I mean, she obviously was talking just as much as he was because the time breakdown is dead even and but but when you walk away because of the way that the moderator would try to shut down the vice president but not Senator Harris yeah. it it made it appear that he was talking more and going over time and gobbling up more of the talk time than Senator Harris but that's not the case yeah. that's not true it was it was dead even when you look at it so well, again, yep. sort of a I, again, I you know, it's hard to look at that and say that there wasn't that it wasn't slanted, that there wasn't a bias. Let's fast forward to next week, Tony. Let me ask you a question. Do you think we're going to have a presidential debate since the debate commission has said it's virtual? Uh, President Trump says, I'm not doing that. Get out of here. Uh, do you think that is a, mis- a mistake to do that, to not to skip the debate? I think it's I don't want to see a virtual debate. Um, I don't, I think it's a mistake. I do think it's a a mistake to skip the debate. I don't think it's a mistake to force them to do a traditional live debate. What I think in the end will happen is that there will be a postponement, maybe a week. Both debates get pushed back a week and both are done live. Or maybe even they get it together and the president is cleared in you know in the next day or two and there's you know a few days of him being cleared before this Thursday and it still goes off on time i think the chance i think that's a, a stretch i i think that's the the least likely thing to happen but i think it's still i think it's still very possible that that happens um but i think in the end we get two more debates and they're both live and the virtual thing doesn't happen and i hate the idea of a virtual debate. What do you think? Uh, I don't I don't want a virtual debate because basically what the presidential commission wants to do is control the mics. So if it's a virtual debate, they can uh, darken President Trump's screen or cut off his microphone. I think that's the main reason um, he didn't want to do it. Uh, Surprisingly, not surprisingly, that's uh, that's the, the reason he said he wanted he didn't want to do it. He specifically oh, said it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't blame him. I wouldn't either. Yeah. And I. And what's surprising, not surprising, is that uh, ABC has uh, scheduled a town hall on the night of the 
supposed debate yeah. with, uh, with Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. Yep. Smart move. Are on, you shocked by that? I think it's a smart move because they've got a 90-minute block to fill that yeah. they had already set aside for politics anyway you need to fill it somehow yeah i think it's it, i, it's a, I it's agree a, it's a smart move but what i'm scared of it's going to be just like the nbc debate where it's supposed to it be will. all these quote-unquote undecided it voters, will but we find out they're democrats yeah. so. it will it will be that but it is i mean i don't but any time smart campaign anytime you can get the politicians out there speaking to people who cares who the people are that's a good thing, yeah. Because then you can then you can find out what they truly and really believe, and what their and what their answers to questions. Right, right. How are we supposed to know what what Joe Biden truly truly believes when he just said yesterday that he's not going to tell his position on packing the court until after the election? That's what he believes. He says he's going to tell you after the election. So that doesn't bother you. We'll talk about it later. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to continue. We'll continue this argument, but and we're you know going to do it later it, because just, I love the vigorous debate. No, I do too, and I think it's a, a, a definitely something I want to continue talking about. But I also want to take this first break here early because I want to get to Ted Cruz and I want to give the senator a little extra time. So we're going to break a little bit early here. I bet we talk about that packing the court question with Senator Ted Cruz as well. So uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to take this first break and. When we get back, uh, United States Senator Ted Cruz is going to join us. His new book is One Vote Away, and we will talk to the senator when we get back. You're listening to The Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. Welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here in studio with our producer, Frank Ladd. And once again, uh, my partner, Chris Arps, is at his uh, compound somewhere in the St. Louis metro area under 50 feet of concrete and steel, (laughs) protected and uh, properly socially distanced. Uh, Very honored to talk to Senator Ted Cruz, as we mentioned in that last segment, uh, Chris, as we bring on the senator, you worked for the uh, senator's 2016 presidential campaign. So why don't you tell us why that uh, was so important for you to do and introduce our audience to Senator Cruz? Well, Tony, I just have to tell you, first of all, how excited I am to have Senator Cruz on. We've had some pretty big name guests on the show, but uh, this is one I'm really excited about. I had the honor of uh, working on Senator Cruz's presidential campaign in 2016 in Iowa and in South Carolina and back here here in Missouri, and it was probably the highlight of my political career so far. Uh, I admire Senator Cruz. He's a man of faith. He's a man of integrity and uh, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life and really looking forward to getting his thoughts on his new book and uh, what's going on cu- currently with the presidential race and in politics. Very good. So let's go ahead and uh, get the senator on the line now. Senator Ted Cruz, thank you so much for your time today. How are you? Well, gentlemen, it's great to be with you. Chris, Tony, thank you for having me. Chris, it's great to catch up again. Enjoyed our time on the road in <laughs> Iowa and across the country in 2016. And and, and thank you for your, your great passion for our country because uh, – Lord knows we need patriots to fight for our nation uh, then and now. And, Senator, let me say this one thing. I talked to Jeff last night, and he told me he will be listening. So I don't want to put you on the spot there. <laughs> well, look, I, I'm impressed you got him out of bed before 2 p.m. That's a <laughs> 
So, Senator, obviously there's so many things that uh, we could talk to you about. But first, I want to talk to you about your book because uh, what you write about in this book is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, issues also facing the nation um, when we go to the ballot box uh, in just a few weeks here dealing with the Supreme Court. So tell us about uh, about the book and why you were inspired to write it. Well, uh, th- thank you. It is. I, I think it is an issue front and center. The, the book's title is One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History. And, and it's a book that, that I wrote uh, this past spring and, and summer during the COVID lockdown when I was uh, working from home in Houston. And I sat on the couch and grabbed my laptop and sat down and wrote it. And uh, I obviously didn't know that we would have a Supreme Court vacancy in October at the time I wrote the book. Uh, but I did know we had a presidential election coming up in, in November. And and I thought then that judicial nominations and the Supreme Court in particular was the single most important issue on the ballot. And I think with the vacancy that is going to be filled by Judge Barrett, uh, if anything, the issue is even more important. And And so what the book does is each chapter of the book addresses a different constitutional liberty. So there's a chapter on free speech, a chapter on religious liberty, a chapter on the Second Amendment. And and the book is not theoretical or academic. It, it, it's real and practical. And before I was in the Senate, I was a Supreme Court litigator. What I did for a living was argue cases in front of the Supreme Court. And so I take the reader's uh, behind the curtain and, and really behind the scenes at the court to understand what's going on there, to understand who the justices are and, and what the issues are. And, and, and the book, basically I tell war stories from, from some of the biggest landmark cases at the court, uh, many of which uh, I help litigate and, and, and to understand really uh, what's going on behind the scenes. And, and it is stunning in, in case after case after case. They're five four five four five four, and and our precious liberties are just one vote away from being taken away uh, by the court. When you hear people harp on the Supreme Court and talk about how that is such a big part of every presidential election, uh, what you talk about in the book and what you illustrated just then is a perfect uh, example of why it is such an important issue and why people need to know it is such an important issue. And of course, that's one of the biggest. Uh, things one of the biggest news stories facing us right now. You mentioned uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Um, give us your thoughts on why you think this is the right thing to do to move forward with uh, getting her put on the court before the election. Sure, uh, I, I think she's a very strong nominee. I think she's got impeccable credentials and background. Number one in her class at Notre Dame Law School. A, a law clerk for the, the great Justice Antonin Scalia, uh, a professor of law for 20 years at Notre Dame, one of the most respected court of appeals judges in the country. And, and, and on top of all of that, she's also a, a mom of seven kids, which I, I can't even imagine just doing the last one, much less doing everything else she's done uh, all at the same time. And and. I think the decision to nominate Judge Barrett may well have been the most important decision President Trump has made. Uh, I think in doing so, he was honoring his promise to the American people to nominate nominate constitutionalists to the court. And I think 
in confirming her, and, and I believe we are going to confirm Judge Barrett, and we're going to confirm her uh, by the end of the month before Election Day. And I think when we do that, the Republican majority in the Senate will be honoring the promises that we made to the voters to confirm strong constitutionalists to the court. Talking to United States Senator Ted Cruz on the Weekend Report. Go ahead, Chris. Senator, when the founders designed our system, it was theoretically supposed to be three equal branches of government. But it seems lately that the the, uh, judicial branch has become a more powerful force uh, of that government because they can overturn what the legislative and the uh, executive branch can do. Um, what can we do to make the uh, make this more co-equal? Well, Chris, your question is exactly right. Um, as you know, the, the, the founders referred to the judiciary as the, quote, least dangerous branch. That, the, the, those were Hamilton's words in the Federalist Papers. And, and the reason it was the least dangerous branch is because the judiciary could neither make law nor enforce law. It, it could simply decide cases in disputes brought before it. Well, uh, one of the things I trace in the book, One Vote Away, is, is how that all changed. And, and, and it traces its history back really starting in the 1960s, where the left made a decision that, that democracy was, was, was too hard. It was too complicated to convince their fellow citizens of, of their agenda, and instead they decided to, to, to resort to the courts. And it was much easier to convince five lawyers in black robes who'd never been elected to simply to, to decree the policy outcome they wanted for the country rather than have to go through the messy give and take of the political world of convincing your fellow citizens it's a good idea. And, and so in terms of what we can do to fix it, there's a lot of things we can do to fix it, but, but I think nothing matters more than nominating constitutionalists who, who, will, who will follow the law. And I'll give you an example. One of the chapters in the book concerns school choice. I, I am about school choice. I think school choice is the civil rights issue of the 21st century. Uh, that being said, and I've spent for every kid to have an opportunity at an excellent education. That being said, I, I don't want to see the federal courts order school choice for the country. I think if the Supreme Court were to issue an edict that, that we must have school choice across America, th- that would not be the judicial role. The right- Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. place to fight for school choice is in the elected legislatures, in the state legislatures or, or in the Senate where I serve. And I've led the fight in the Senate for school choice. But what I trace in the book, I focus on, on one case called Zelman versus Simmons-Harris. And that was a challenge to the school choice program in Ohio that, that, that gave hope and opportunity to thousands of low-income kids, many of whom were, were black or, or, Af- or Hispanic. And and the left challenged that school choice program. It went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court upheld the program by a vote of five to four. There were four justices 
willing to strike down Ohio's school choice program and willing to strike down every other school choice program in America, strike them down to take away that opportunity from kids. That's an example of how the radical left wants to use the court to mandate policy outcomes that actually when the voters have a choice on the matter, they choose something very different. Hmm. Senator, another example of how important the court is right now in this election, and obviously as important it is uh, in every single election, is the other big issue surrounding the court is the situation, uh, the idea of packing the court, that the Democrats uh, seem to be have flirted with the idea. Some Democrats have even talked about, you know, have floated out the idea. And of course, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won't answer the question about packing the court. Can you explain to the listeners what that means by packing the court and um, talk about why it's so dangerous and why Joe Biden won't answer the question? Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. So both Biden and Harris uh, consistently refused to answer it. You know, yesterday I, I talked to Mike Pence uh, to congratulate Mike. I think I think Mike did a fabulous job day before yesterday in the debate with 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 Kamala Harris, and and he was calm, he was level headed, and and on this issue, four separate times he tried to nail Kamala down on on did she have an answer? Would she and Joe Biden pack the court if they win? And she just refused to answer. And, and the reason she refused to answer is their answer is yes, that, that the hard left in the Democratic Party, they are enraged. They're angry. They hate the president. And, and I believe if, if they win, if we wake up and see a Biden-Schumer-Pelosi government come January, God forbid, uh, I think we will see they will do more damage in two years than Barack Obama did in eight years, I think Schumer will end the filibuster, which means that the Senate minority will lose any ability to stop their radical agenda. I think they will admit two new states to the union, which they believe will give them four new Democratic senators to entrench their power. And then I believe one of the things they will do is is pack the Supreme Court, increase the number of justices from nine either 11 or 13, and do it just so they can put left-wing judicial activists immediately on the court. Uh, I think if they did that, it it would destroy the independence of the court. It would turn the court into essentially an adjunct of the political branches. And what it would mean is the next time, if they increased it, say, to 11 justices, the next time Republicans had a majority, we'd increase it to 13, and it would just become a, a, a purely political position. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a Democratic president previously tried to pack the court. FDR tried to do it at the height of his power, and his own party, the Democratic Party, which had massive majorities in both houses, they told him no. They said it would destroy the court. Justice Ginsburg, before she passed, she was asked about this, and, and she said, Uh, She said, I think nine is a good number. And she said, I think it was a mistake when FDR packed the court and it would be a mistake if we did it now. That being said, the reason why Biden and Kamala over and over and over again won't answer the question, if they get power, that's what they intend to do. Mm. And and as you pointed out, it's a mess that probably could never be undone. We're talking to Senator Ted Cruz. The new book is One Vote Away. Got just a few minutes left, so let's try to rapid fire a few more questions. Chris, go ahead. This is Thomas's Analito. 
have recently said that the Obergefell decision, which legalized same-sex marriage, was ruled incorrectly and that it uh, infringes on religious, religious liberty. Do you see that uh, that ruling being overturned in a future court? And also, does you know one of the reasons why um, same-sex marriage was legalized because they didn't want one state having it legal and another state not having it legal, and they wanted it uniform like driver's licenses. Can you address that? And also, do you think this will be uh, overturned in the future? You know, I don't know if the decision will ever be overturned. I, I think Obergefell was an example of judicial activism. It was an example of the left who, who wanted to see gay marriage universally, uh, using the courts to dictate the outcome they wanted. Now, look, from the beginning of our country, marriage laws have been decided at the state level, and, and, and marriage laws have varied state by state. So, for example, the age at which you can get married varies widely from state to state. In some states, it's younger. In some states, it's older. Um, and, and there was a legislative means of changing it. If you believe gay marriage is a good idea, you had a mechanism, which was to convince your elected officials in your state that was a good idea. And, and the way the Constitution works is then you can have a public policy debate. You can have a discussion about whether that makes sense or not. When you have five justices just issue a decree – what they do is they take it away from the American people. They don't let the voters decide. And, and let's suppose some of your listeners agree with a particular policy position, and so you're happy. Say, okay, good. I like my position that won there. Well, let me ask you, who in their right mind would have this country governed by five lawyers that, 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 that from whom there's no appeal? Um, it, it should instead be the people. And if you really want to understand this issue, the, the, the book One Vote Away um, – I released it last week. It immediately rose to, to be the number one bestseller in the country on Amazon. You, you can get the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you get your books. But it's really designed – You know, a lot of people know the court matters, but yet it's confusing. It's hard to understand. This book is designed to help break through that and make it real and understandable. You don't have to be a lawyer to enjoy this book, but you know, particularly in the next month when, when we're in the midst of massive battles about the court, about Judge Barrett, about the election, this book is really designed to give you the tools to understand what's at stake and, and, and to be equipped when you're talking to your friends and family, when you're around the dinner table, when you're discussing these issues, to have the depth to really understand it in a fun, interesting, uh, real way. And so I would encourage folks, go buy the book One Vote Away. I think you'll really enjoy it and, and hopefully learn something at the same time. Senator Cruz, before we let you go, I want to ask you about something that is actually unfolding as we're recording this uh, this interview. As I was walking in here to talk with you, I was watching Speaker Pelosi roll out this new legislation, this new idea that she's using the 25th Amendment to create some kind of presidential contingency committee. I literally didn't get a chance to see too much of it as they were rolling it out. I don't even know how much you've had a, how much time you've had to see this. But I, I wanted to just get your thoughts on th- this as an example of how important this action today by Nancy Pelosi, how, impor- how important uh, the election is, how this is used as an example of how important this election is. And just the lengths the Democrats seem to be able to go to to try to uh, take power away from the president and Republicans, basically at all costs. Sure. Look, look, what we've seen this week from Nancy Pelosi is just a political stunt. 
Um, she knows this legislation will go nowhere. It's not meant to go anywhere. It's a partisan stunt to attack the president. And I will say it's unfortunate. The first two years of the Trump presidency, we had Republican majorities in both houses of Congress, and we accomplished an enormous amount, the biggest tax cut in a generation. We repealed job-killing regulations. Together, we produced the lowest unemployment in 50 years, the lowest African-American unemployment ever recorded, the lowest Hispanic unemployment ever recorded. Um, we saw enormous accomplishments, and every bit of that ground to a halt the instant Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats took over the House. From the moment she seized the gavel, her only agenda has been to attack the president, to impeach the president, to undermine the president. And I get she disagrees with Donald Trump, but, but, but her entire job is not to foment hatred and attacks for the president. This stunt was an example of that, where she started trying to impeach him from day one, and this is another way of attacking him. And ultimately, it's not about her being mad at Trump. It's about her being mad at the American people for daring to elect Donald Trump. And the Democrats don't accept that election, and they don't want the American people to be in charge of your rights. They, they want to be in charge of your rights, and they want to put activists on the courts who, who will take away your rights and, 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 and not give you a, a voice or a choice in it. This election is how you say no. We're going to be in charge of our democracy. We're going to be in charge of our future. We're going to defend our rights. Chris, I know it's been four years since you've had a chance <laughs> to talk with uh, the senator. You got one more for him before we need to let him go? I do. I have one quick question. Senator Cruz, do you, uh, would you like to make some news in our program and tell, <laughs> audience, tell our audience that you're going to run for president in 2024? <laughs> and can I work on your campaign? <laughs> well, uh, let, let me answer the second part. I look forward to working with you again, Chris, and, 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 and I'll tell you this. I am committed to the fight for the long term. We're, we're right now focused on 2020 and helping the president get reelected and helping Republicans win. But after this election, this fight's going to keep going. Whether we see a good or bad election, these issues are not going away. And, and I'm committed to standing up and defending freedom and defending the Bill of Rights and the Constitution uh, in the years going forward. Good stuff. That is Senator Ted Cruz. The book is One Vote Away. Senator, thank you so much for your time today. I hope we get another chance to talk with you sometime yes. in the near future. Yes. Ter terrific. And, I look forward to it. Very good. And, Senator, please give your father, Raphael, and your mother my regards. Really enjoyed uh, uh, meeting them during the campaign. I, I will do so, and they're both, they're both doing terrific, so I'll pass on your regards. That's great. Excellent. Thank you, Senator. Have a great day. All right, that was uh, Senator Ted Cruz on the Weekend Report. Good stuff there. We need to take a quick break, and uh, we'll react a little bit to what we just talked to the senator about when we get back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. Would you let me show you life with me? Could be better than a Welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here in studio with producer Frank Ladd. And I incorrectly mentioned before that interview with Ted Cruz that Chris Arps was at the Arps compound 
But uh, Chris Arps is actually traveling and has been gracious enough to spend this entire first hour with us uh, on the road. So, Chris, you're in uh, you're in uh, New England, right? I'm in beautiful Augusta, Maine right now, Tony. I'm looking out the window at the beautiful New England foliage. Would you have spent the entire first hour with us on the phone as you are in the looking at that beautiful foliage had we not have had Ted Cruz today? <laughs> I would I could talk to Ted Cruz for days and hours on end. You know, Tony, one of the one of the beautiful things about this radio gig is we get copies of books. So after listening to uh, to Senator Cruz uh, talk about his book, I can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, what did you? I know you you're you're busy up there in Maine, and I know you've got to go. But I wanted I, I'm glad you were able to stick around here for just a couple minutes. Um, I wanted to get your your thoughts on that interview with Ted Cruz, and also uh, how important of a voice do you think the senator is in United States politics right now? Well, I think he's a very important voice in our politics. You know, one of the knocks on Ted Cruz is among some folks is that he's not very likable. And sometimes you need to be like that in order to get things done. Um, look at uh, President Trump. You know, some people don't like him, but he's been very effective. And uh, like I said at the end of the interview, uh, I think that uh, I hope that he runs in 2024. Um, I don't think he'll be as bombastic and as abrasive as Donald Trump uh, as president. But I think he's the strong, principled leader that this country will need after President Trump leaves office, either this cycle or in four years. You know, when you said that to him, I it, it hadn't occurred to me that he may run again, but then hearing you put it that way, it seems like maybe he would be one of the uh, immediate front runners. And, you know, whoever, assuming Donald Trump wins this election, whatever Republican tries to run after eight years of Donald Trump is going to have, is going to need to be somebody that's very seasoned, somebody that can really stand up to criticism and have answers and you know there's going to be you think people have trump derangement syndrome now or (laughs) trump fatigue now if he gets another four years the republican running in 2024 is going to have to deal with a lot and and maybe ted cruz is one of the few people uh that has the uh, uh the personality the and the knowledge to to handle all of that so that's a that's a really good point you think you think that there is a good chance of the senator running again? I think there's a very good chance that he'll run again, Tony. I think the three top uh, people that will be running in 2024 will be, of course, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, then I'd probably put Ted Cruz at second. And third is probably uh, Nikki Haley. I think those are going to be your early three front runners mm. for 2024. Those are three solid candidates for sure. All right, we are going to continue uh, on here with the weekend report. We've got a little bit of time left in this hour and then an entire second hour, but we need to cut Chris Arps loose because he's got work to do there in Maine. Chris, thanks so much for uh, putting a little extra time with us and talking to Senator Ted Cruz and spending this first hour with us. We'll talk to you next thank, week. My friend. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. You bet. Talk to you next week. 
And producer Frank Ladd is uh, still here in studio with me as we finish up this first hour. want to remind you that in our second hour, we are going to talk to our buddy Brian Eggers. Skip Weber is going to check in, and we're going to talk to Gabe Pfeiffer from the St. John the Philosopher YouTube channel. Gabe was with me on Wednesday night during our post-vice presidential debate coverage. And uh, now that we've had a few days to digest that news. Uh, we'll we'll check in with Gabe again and get his thoughts. Uh, Frank, before we wrap up this first hour, I want to go back to something that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Um, I said, we'll argue about it later because we're getting ready to talk to Ted Cruz. Uh, Chris is gone, but I wanted to finish out that point about um, uh, that you were making about the question about packing the court that uh, has been asked to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And Chris was saying they keep dodging the question and you were saying they're not dodging the question. They're answering the question. They said they're going to deal with it after the debate. That's an answer. Yes. Is it a good answer? I'm not saying it's a good answer or a bad answer. (laughs) I'm saying it's an answer. I'm saying this is how they have come to this point. Obviously, the best answer would be the historical answer of Congress would Congress would have to go through changing the number of people on the court anyway. They would have to propose it. Right. There would have to be legislation passed for all these things to happen. And he can't just be elected and say this is what we're and doing. just nominate these people. So right. honestly, that's a that's an even better answer. the 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 better answer is it's really out of the president's hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and really totally is. I'd rather hear that them... would be that would be the correct answer to say is I can't just pack the court because I'm I'm president. It's just not going to happen. But they're saying hey, they're 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 stepping back and saying hey, we're not doing this. And we're and we're and you're going to find out after the election because it's a headline grabber that essentially means nothing. If I were a Biden supporter, I would want him to give that answer or or I don't know why I don't know why 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 they don't. But doesn't it just keep giving the the Republicans a a obvious way to attack Sure, but I think it's a weak way, right? But it but it ends up being a very weak way way of attack because of how easy it is to disarm it. Because I'm standing here and I'm disarming, right? Right. So I don't. If I was a Biden supporter, I would want them to disarm it so it would just go away. But it seems like it's going to continue to haunt them. Except that it's such a light question. Yeah, you're right. But they make it. But he they make it bigger by by saying we're not going to answer. And then when he and then. The, but saying, the answer of, saying that it's going to happen after the election, that's an answer. Right. Folks, that's right. an answer. You may not like it, but, but you can't attack them for not answering the question because they're answering the question. When he explains that he's not going to answer it because his words, he said it a couple times now, whatever I say, that's going right. to be the headline. Well, duh. It and is that always a bad thing? And isn't that everything that clearly the past four everything years? Everything he says is going to be a headline. Every every so he everything makes headlines. The president says exactly. is going to be a headline. He makes That's headlines the past every years. single yeah. day. Right. So by saying. Well, no, I won't answer it because whatever I say, that's what you're going to go and write in your papers. And that's going to be the headline. Well, I duh. think between <laughs> I think between you and me. There are higher issues on our list of priorities for our president to take care of at this moment in time yeah. than packing the court, than not packing the court, than putting up a nominee, than not putting up a nominee. I think those are those are far down on you and I's list here in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm going to ask Gabe Pfeiffer this um, at the beginning of the next hour here, but um, 
real quick, what do you think about these debates and their ability to change people's minds? Do they? Not in the least. Has everybody made up their mind? Are 100%. There, are there moderates at left? Point, at this point. Are there undecideds left? Normally. Undecideds is a better way to say Normally, it. yes. Between these two candidates at this point in time in this year, no. I, I agree. and but, and that, the, Because since Joe Biden has announced, the numbers haven't moved right. at yeah. all in the national polling. And I've had people tell me this week that these debates don't matter because of that. I still think the debates matter. I still want to see the debates. Oh, yeah. But I agree. It's good TV. Yeah. But, but I they're agree. not changing anybody's minds. I'm not they're sure. They're just yet. adding fodder for, for your argument. Yeah, I think you might be right. All right. got to take a break, but we have a whole second hour of the Weekend Report coming up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to 97.1 FM Talk. Time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Thank you, Perry Woods. And yes, indeed, The Weekend Report is on your radio. It is our number two of The Weekend Report. And thank you so much for being a part of it. Tony Colombo here in studio with producer Frank Ladd. In that first hour, we had a discussion with United States Senator Ted Cruz. It was a uh, great honor and a great discussion to have the senator on the show. So if you missed that, don't forget about our podcast or even the Radio Rewind feature on the Radio.com app. The Weekend Report podcast, you can get it just about anywhere that you get podcasts, but that we that Radio.com app is what I suggest because once you download the Radio.com app and you favorite 97.1 FM talk, you have uh, one-stop shopping for everything here at the station. You can stream the station 24-7, you can rewind live radio and you can download the podcast of this and every other show on the station so ted cruz joined us for a big uh, uh, chunk of that first hour my partner chris arps is uh, doing some work up in maine he's on location as he as it is and uh he would joined us for a good part of that first hour as well so uh really good stuff and we've got a packed second hour coming up right now uh in just a few minutes we're going to talk to our buddy skip weber and as I mentioned earlier, joining us on the phone now is Gabe Pfeiffer, a.k.a. St. John the Philosopher from the St. John the Philosopher YouTube channel. Gabe was with me in studio during our post-debate coverage on Wednesday night for the vice presidential debate. And so, Gabe, we had a chance to talk on Wednesday night immediately following the debate. And now we've had a few days to digest what we saw and uh, process uh, everybody's reaction to the debate. So I'm glad uh, we get another chance to talk here. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to be with you guys again. You bet. You bet. So uh, go ahead. Now, yeah, now, so since, since we've had a little time how here um, to, to think about it and to, and to look over what was all that was uh, said and done, uh, I, it, 
Kamala Harris's performance just gets worse and worse in my mind. <laughs> and, okay. Because, uh, I mean, I mean, I've I've rewatched a couple of uh, uh, a few minutes of it. Um, most recently, I, I was watching a, a a body language analysis of the whole thing, and my goodness, uh, it's, it's when you really actually focus almost exclusively. Like if you if you muted the sound and you just watched what was going on on the screen, it's it's pretty bad. You know, she she comes across as the type of person you don't want to be around, essentially. So you, you know the the whole likability thing is is important to a lot of the particularly the middle of the road voters. So I I can't imagine that that went over well with them. Something we were just talking about with uh, Chris and I were talking about at the end of that first hour was you and I you and 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 me and uh, Tim Jones. We're in the studio watching, and producer Chad Ellis, we're in the studio watching that debate on Wednesday night. And, you know, we talked about how the moderator kept cutting off, not cutting off. I mean, he was, you know, Mike Pence's time was up, but she would jump in. Vice President, your time is up. Vice President, you thank you, Vice President. Your time is up. Thank you, Vice President. And that happened every single question. And so logic would tell you that... He must have talked more in the debate than right. Kamala Harris did because mm-hmm. he seemed to go over on every question. But then what we didn't know on Wednesday night is since then they released the uh, uh, total talk time and it's virtually dead even. So <laughs> if if he went over every time and was having to be cut off, if if if, if they had even talk time, then... She must have been going over every time too, but nobody was cutting her off. What do you think of that? that? That it's pretty clear that Mike Pence had to fight for even time, and that that's really what that says is that just just to get a fair shake, basically, he had to over you know up, at least appear to overstep his bounds with the moderator. But uh, you know there was that there was that one instance, Tony, where and you you marked it. It was it was very. Is very uh, telling, um, where you you noted this six minute was it a full six minutes of uninterrupted Kamala Harris talk time? Yeah, yeah. And 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 right after that, as as uh, uh, Vice President Pence was trying to get his point across and was it was, and and was being cut off again by the moderator. The moderator said, "You know, I he you know I yes I know you're trying to talk, but uh, you've you've been." You know, talking more. Than, yeah, you've been talking over more than her. Yeah, like she she literally said those words after was, after giving amazing. Kamala Harris six straight minutes. She reprimanded the vice president, saying, "You've got you you've talked more," and he didn't yeah. talk more. The numbers show that he didn't talk more. And what we're talking, what I'm talking, what we're talking about there is there was a moment in the debate where uh, Kamala Harris was the responding to was second on a question and then got one of the few questions that were directed at her first. So she had about three minutes of response time. And then the moderator asked a question and to Kamala Harris. And then, so she went for another three minutes and it was like six to Mm -hmm. eight minutes of straight Kamala Harris. And then when the vice president tried to talk, he was reprimanded for uh cutting her off and yeah it was yeah that was a that was definitely a moment um another moment of course was the fly and you know we were talking (laughs) about it as it happened and i said i said right then and there the moment it happened that this is the best thing that could happen to the democrats because it's a perfect distraction 
You know, if mm-hmm. if they get if you if they get pinned down on an on an issue that they don't want to talk about, they can start making jokes about flies and sort of deflect the conversation. And the very next day, I don't know if you've seen these, but the very next day, the Biden campaign was selling ten dollar fly swatters on their website. Did you did you see <laughs> oh, that? Have you wow. seen have you seen the Biden Harris fly swatters? I have not seen those, but that I'm not is surprised. A, that's uh, a I mean, real thing. That's, that's all they got at this point. And <laughs> what, here's here's something interesting to think about too, though, is um, you know in the post bait discussions, primarily what you're hearing, even from you know those on the on you know that side of the aisle, which is pretty much all of them, um, you hear uh, a lot of talk about um, Pence uh, going over and the fly, but you don't hear about how great. Harris did. Mm, it's a good point. You know, she she didn't make she didn't make that big of an impact. And and even when when people do kind of go you know go in to try and uh, uh, carry her water and say that she won the debate somehow, it, you know, it's it's very generic, you know, ge- general ideas. But uh, Pence had Pence had a lot of go to quotes that that we could we could pick up. And um and yeah and and again also in hindsight, looking at some of the things that Harris actually said. So many were just flat out wrong and and provably so and and it's, and it 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 gets like I said it gets worse the longer you think about it the longer you look into it yeah I mean there's not only it's not even a fact check situation a lot of times with the Biden Harris policies it's it's just pure hypocrisy because you know you have her you have Senator Harris saying that there that Joe Biden will not ban fracking but at the same moment on their official campaign website when you go to the clean energy section the very first thing it says is that the green new deal is the perfect structure for uh a a, the a plan to clean up the environment and so there's they embrace and say that they they that the green new deal is their is their base their structure for their environmental plan, which fracking is not going to be in that plan, so one of the things is wrong. Either you, either Biden and Harris are wrong or lying when they say they're not going to ban fracking, or they're wrong or lying when they say that the Green New Deal on their website when they say that the Green New Deal is the structure for their their plan. They they're just completely at odds, and it's and it's easily. Fact checked, but they are counting on, and they may be right. They they they're just counting on many American voters just taking them at their word, hating the president, thinking the president is a liar, and taking them at their word. And it might, you know what? It might work. Yeah, and and worse than that, you know, there are there are quotes. There's plenty of video evidence for both Biden and uh, and Harris to show that they are in favor of getting rid of fracking. Like they they've said those words. Um, and it's on tape, and and for some reason they seem to be uh, um, pretending as though that you know we can't find those things. You know this is this is a 21st century century. We can easily Google these things, and, and hey, maybe they're looking for uh, a cover from Google. But uh, I mean, even even the big zinger that was supposed to be the 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 quote of the night, her Abe Lincoln story, was a, a an entirely made up. Uh, a caricature of what she was trying to make it to be, and it's and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, that that you could tell that she had 
planned that. That was she was sitting on that one. That was her big going to be her big moment. And for me, it just, so it just landed flat. It, it, yeah, it didn't prove some huge point uh, that I think that she was that she was trying to make with that quote. Um, yeah, not only did it land flat in the time, but it was actually flat out wrong with the point she was trying to make. Another another uh, point about the about the the coverage and the reaction to the debate. You know, we talked about the fly being a, a, a distraction that can be used to deflect the conversation. Um, immediately following the debate, and I don't remember if I said this out loud in the studio, um, but right before we we went on, you and myself and, and Tim Jones, uh, the debate had just ended, and we were just getting ready to go on, and I looked up at the television that we, that was uh, above you, above your head in the studio. We had, mm-hmm. we yeah. had three televisions on, and one was on MSNBC, one was on CNN, and one was on Fox News. And, uh, you know, throughout the night, kind of monitoring the three, seeing what the lower thirds are saying, you know, seeing what the discussions are. I can't hear them, but, you know, you can you can keep an eye on kind of what the three networks are reporting and the headlines that they're putting out there. And right before we went on the air, I looked at the CNN television and it said Harris Pence dodge questions throughout debate. And I thought, (laughs) okay, that's a that's a fair take. Because both of them did dodge questions. I personally think that Senator Harris dodged more questions than Vice President Pence. But that's but I'm certainly willing to admit and and I'm certainly willing to say that the vice president dodged questions and, you know, and, and spun his answers to whatever talking points he wanted to, you know, get out there. Um, but quick, and I thought to my, and I remember thinking to myself, that's a fair statement. If you want to say they both dodge questions throughout the debate, that's a fair statement, but very quickly, we'll we'll evaluate it, but yeah, yeah, very quickly within maybe an hour or two on this, on CNN's website, there was an article all about how Mike Pence didn't answer any questions and Senator Harris did. So even the really? narrative of C- even <laughs> CNN's own narrative, I guess saying that they both dodge questions was not good enough for the CNN audience. And they had to change their their own reporting on it. And just within a couple hours after the debate, their website is saying Senator Harris, you know, handles herself well in first debate and the vice president dodges a bunch of questions. I don't see how you can I don't see how you I I'll, I I don't mind anybody saying they both dodge questions. But to say sure. that I one mean, did and one didn't, sure. you're obviously being very partisan because it, I I it's you can't tell me that you watched that debate and you saw Senator Harris answer a bunch of questions and Mike Pence dodge a bunch of questions. I I don't know how you can yeah. come away with that. You know, I suppose the only way that they could spin it is is if uh, uh, you know Harris they, Harris a- actually answered the uh, the biased moderator questions, but didn't actually give us any information. At, while while Pence had to had to uh, to step around the false narratives of the moderator questions to get to get uh, any any leeway to get his point across. So I suppose if you're leaning into those into that that idea that the moderator is 
is all powerful and, and fair, basically, then then sure, I guess you could spin it in your mind that Harris answered all the questions and, and Pence didn't. But the, the the reality was a different story. I think the polls are showing that people kind of read between the lines as well. And uh, because uh, as far as I could tell, even even today, you know, and, and various polls that it's still showing about uh, 70 percent for, for Pence on, on winning that, that, deba- that debate. You know, that's an interesting word these days, winning the debate. Um, I, I think that used to be a real thing that you could watch a debate, <laughs> that you could watch a debate and you could you may be able to even change some minds, but you could definitely get a undecided voter and and put them in your column in these in these in in the history of presidential and vice presidential debates i think that was a real thing i don't know if it is mm-hmm. anymore and you know as the days have gone on here since the debate i was uh having a bunch of different discussions on social media and on my twitter at tony colombo 971 uh shameless plug um and people were saying you know i was asking people who won the debate or what they thought about the debate and over and over, I was getting responses like, who cares? It doesn't matter. There are no undecided voters. Everybody's made up their minds. What do you think of that? Is it? Are we so polarized right now as a society? Are, is there a such thing as undecided? Is there a such thing as moderates? Can you change minds anymore? Uh, you know, I, you know, based on some of the the things that I've I've read, um, you know, about the various testimonials about uh, uh, lifelong Republicans being so disgusted with the current administration, or lifelong Democrats uh, being disgusted with uh, the the uh, the manipulations of the left and things like that. That yes, I think on some level there's still the ability to uh, to change minds, um, although I'm not sure it's in the realm of. A uh, of a debate. I, I'm not sure because they don't really talk policy the way they used to. You know, there there are no Lincoln Douglas debates anymore about the merits or the demerits of of the institutions of you know of of America. It's it's really just um, you know screaming at why the other guy is bad, mm-hmm. and uh, it 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 gets it it gets a little difficult to to see where there is any room for for someone to approach it. Um, I guess in in a, a sort of even-handed or analytical sort of way, such that they, their mind could be legitimately changed on a policy. Um, so, and and as much as as much as we look to those things to to uh, to show how polarized um, we are in in a partisan way, we're we're very we we need to recognize that we're very polarized in in a in a very ideological way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't so much that that oh you know the, you know I'm team red and I'm team blue. It's it's much deeper than that now because the the uh, the, the Democrats have have really embraced their far left and uh, and and they're they're pushing a very light. Uh, I'll say light socialist uh, uh, sort of um, uh, policies at at best, if not full on uh, social socialist communist sort yeah. of ideas at worst, and um, and and they've they've made bedfellows with some of the worst characters in American society, in my opinion. Um, so it's it's tough to to sort of stake a middle ground there when the, those two grounds are so diametrically opposed. 
That is Gabe Pfeiffer. Check him out on the St. John the Philosopher YouTube channel. Of course, you can also hear Gabe every Friday as part of the Annie Fry Show here on 97.1 FM Talk. And uh, Gabe, if people want to follow you, obviously the YouTube channel, but uh, any other social media that they can uh, follow you on? Oh, sure. At John the Philosopher on Twitter, and uh, and I do have also have a Facebook page. Um, just search for St. John the Philosopher on Facebook, and uh, that, that's where I like to do a lot of the linking to my content. But uh, uh, Twitter is, is usually where I'll, I'll, you'll get the hot takes. So Great stuff. That, that's always fun. Great stuff. That's Gabe Pfeiffer again. Check out the St. John the Philosopher YouTube channel. And, uh, Gabe, thanks for your help this past Wednesday, and I'm sure we'll talk to you many more times as we go through the rest of this election season. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Thanks. Thanks. See you. Bet. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk to our buddy Skip Weber on The Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo in studio this week with producer Frank Ladd. My partner Chris Arps is in Maine. He joined us for most of the first hour as uh, we talked to Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, Chris worked on the Cruz presidential campaign in 2016. And so Chris uh, spent a good part of the first hour with us as we talked about some of the issues of the week. And then we had a a great talk with Senator Ted Cruz. Again, if you missed any of that, you can always hear it again on our podcast. You can get the Weekend Report podcast just about anywhere you get podcasts. But I recommend the Radio.com app as being the best place to go and get that podcast. So uh, joining us now, as I mentioned, on the phone, and of course, the music indicated. Uh, our buddy Skip Weber joins us on the line. Skip, always great to talk with you. How's it going, my friend? It's going well. I'm sorry I couldn't join you earlier because then we could have had a game with Chris and Ted Cruz. We could have had him, you know, and seen if he could, you know, if he won, he'd be undefeated. You know, we'd have to make him come back. That's right. Yeah, it would have been the hook. He would have had to come back to defend his title. That's such a great point. Exactly. Uh, yeah, without Chris here this week, uh, we are not going to play the Weird News Challenge. Hopefully we'll get a, back to the Weird News Challenge next week. Uh, but there's still a couple things that I, I definitely wanted to talk to you about, Skip. Um, of course, you host, Skip is the host of the Saturday Evening Rock Show, which you can hear in just a couple hours here every Saturday night from 9 to 11 on 97.1 FM Talk, the best music show on a talk station in the world. And uh, the music world was uh, shocked and kind of rocked this week, no pun intended, by the passing of Eddie Van Halen. Um, what did you think uh, when you heard that news? And just talk a little bit about, I'm sure you've played plenty of Van Halen on on Absolutely. your show. Um uh, what an impact Van Halen had on uh, rock music in general. That, no question. No question. It was very, very sad. Look, he wasn't that old compared to a lot of the rockers that are still out there performing. Um, so it's, but, but he's a guy who smoked so many cigarettes and he died of lung cancer. And, 
you know, that I don't think there's any question that that, 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 that the volume of smoking contributed to that. So, you know, a lot of these guys uh, abuse themselves with alcohol, drugs, or whatever, and somehow they get clean, and so they can live a little while, you know. And some people are, are fitness nuts now, you know. But um, but that that kind of was left over from the not doing the right thing for your body, and it was tough. But you know what? I've said it many, many, many times. The rockers like me, we're going to start dropping like flies, man. Our, our, our idols and heroes are going to start dropping like flies. I mean, we've lost some big, big names this year. We've lost Eddie Van Halen, Charlie Daniels, Neil Peart. Uh, if you're an old Fleetwood Mac fan, Peter Green, there's just a lot of them. Um, and, you know, we, in recent years, you got Chris Cornell, Tom Petty, uh, yeah. you know, uh, David Bowie, Glenn Fry. I mean, this list is getting pretty big, and no, it's no longer – the Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin where they die from overdoses and Jimi Hendrix and such. It's, uh, it's just old age and stuff. Yeah. yeah you know, they're, so they're just getting older. I mean, there's, only, there's only two Beatles left. There's only two members of the who left, you know, um, it's just, it's just tough. And, and so Eddie Van Halen's just another one of those names that it's kind of sad. And it's doubly sad for me because I have seen so many of the acts I love so many times and I've seen Sammy Hagar uh, two or three times. Uh, a couple of those times he played a lot of Van Halen music, but in one and one of those times he had Michael Anthony with him. But I never saw Van Halen. I had tickets to their to their show in Dallas in 1990, and they uh, and they had to cancel from strep throat. Mm. And they came back and played a live. And they played an outdoor in this outdoor situation where it was free. And, and these merchants were doing it for, and they had like second tier people, like you know the reformation of Kansas and 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 meatloaf and all these other type of stuff. And I tried to go to that, and I could hear it, but I couldn't get anywhere near it because it was just a zoo. And that's the only time I've heard uh, him playing live, and that's kind of sad to me. But yeah. he wasn't touring anyway, so it was like it was I, it, that 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 ship had already sailed, you know. I always hate when. Um, um people try to do a ranking system with something like guitar players. I mean, it's fun to do it with, you know, your friends or when you're having a discussion, you know, kind of ranking your own personal. But when there's like some uh, fake official list of the best guitar players, it's kind of like uh, the best running backs, you know, like there's just that there's right. so much uh, uh, personal opinion that goes into something like that. Uh, but your personal opinion, uh, where where do you put Eddie uh, as far as uh, a guitar player and his influence, uh, you know, with uh, with that instrument in in rock music and music in general? So for his pure skill and and quickness of his hands and stuff, I'd put him in the top five. I don't know if he could be in the top two, but I put him in the top five for his creation. That the music that just flows from his heart, a la Eric Clapton. I don't know that he's maybe the second ten. I don't think he was quite as as pure, innovative. Um, you know, just been able to make the guitar sing like a uh, uh, Eric Clapton or Jeff Beck or Jimmy Page or Paul McCartney, Jimi Hendrix. Um, Jimi Hendrix might be on the top of all those guys, whatever. But yeah. but but so I, so then I would say if you average those two together and and take them maybe a little bit off for not as much of a longevity, then I'd say ten to twelve in in total guitarists, yeah. which is the number of guitarists. That's yeah, out that's there. I mean that's that pretty. Is, I mean, yeah, that's if you're in the top high. ten or twelve, so that's yeah, that's that's there's people elite. out there that'll. 
there's people out there that will hate me for that because they like their music better, but you got to be right. realistic. I love their music, too. I would put somebody like a Albert King and a B.B. King above Eddie Van Halen, even though I would listen to Van Halen over Albert King every day. Yeah. You just hear those guys actually talked with their guitar. Eddie Van Halen was fast. He could do a lot of riffs. But there wasn't a lot of stuff that was like, like you know, it's just, it's hard to explain. Like so, a melody, like a like a. Right. I know what you're talking about for sure. You, you can play the song like Jeff Beck would do, and not even have any words, and you'd yeah. still sing along. Yeah, you, exactly. That's yeah, just, that's yeah. a good. Way, that's a great. So, that's a great way to put it. Uh, Skip, so I wanted be, to. I wanted to get your thoughts on something, um, and I wanted to get Frank's thoughts on this as well. While we have just a couple of minutes left here with you, we haven't had a chance to talk about uh, uh, sports in, at all on the show today or any of the issues. And uh, one of the big headlines of the week that kind of got um, buried because of everything else happening in the news was the NBA announced that they will be removing all of the social messaging from the courts and the players' jerseys. And, Skip, you and I have talked on, on this show and on the Dave Glover show many times about how I don't care what side you're on, and, and I just don't want politics in sports. I just think it's bad. I, but I also, I, also war- yeah, I also warned ahead of time that it's double bad if you say that you're going to put social messaging and, uh, you know, your important causes above all else and say, uh, you know, we, we want our players to have this expression and we want to put this on our court because we believe in it. But then if if it starts to hurt you monetarily and you take it away, now you look double bad for that. Yeah. Uh, Frank, I want your thoughts first on on do you do you see it that way? Do you see it like this? The NBA looks even worse now because. They're taking this away because ratings are bad and they're losing money. It kind of shows their hypocrisy. I think it's difficult for them to say that that is the reason that they're losing money. I think the the, the fact that that none of these games have been in any home cities, that they've been in this bubble, that there have been games on at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. and everything else. They're not not very fan-friendly start times. I think certainly that contributes as well. I don't think you, we can say I agree. the Black Lives Matter is the, is the logo on the floor is the reason why people aren't watching. I think the fact that the games have been on in the summer, you don't watch basketball in the summer, you go play basketball in the but summer. But don't you, you think that they're taking it away because of they're afraid of the ratings? And Don't you think their motivation to remove it is monetary? Probably. I don't doubt that it is. I think though that Frank, Frank, the Frank, fact Frank, that Frank, 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 they Frank, haven't even Frank, brought Frank, it, Frank. they haven't even brought it to I the players think, yet. That's I don't that, that's the big thing. Frank, Go ahead, Frank, I don't Go ahead, think there's any. I don't think there's any question that 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 uh, it's monetary. That the, the social the social justice has impacted their monetary. I think it's very very easy. Could you prove it in the court of law? No, but you could. Here, the amount of social media impact on it, and then. The fact that hockey had higher ratings in the summer when it wasn't competing with, you know, other things. Right. Hockey ratings went up by fifteen percent on TV <laughs> in the summer, and the and the NBA went way down. And there's one difference between the two, and it's the social justice versus not. Look, I don't care what your message is. I don't want to see on on a concert stage Ted Nugent railing against Democrats or Bruce Springsteen railing against Republicans. I don't want to see either of them. I want to hear them sing their music. Sports is supposed to be a release from people. 
even if you agree with what's being said, many people don't want to hear it again. They don't want to be reminded that they just watched an argument or they just had an argument with their coworker. They want to come home, turn on the game, and watch people play. Play and a I game think they that just we're look, not capable of. It. And I just think they look doubly bad by saying yes. it was important to put but, it out there. But then when it appears, at least to many of us, that it's a monetary decision that they're taking it away, that it just exposes their hypocrisy and may even damage it, them it, it, further. It may, but the, but the truth is I think the hypocrisy was already out there because of their relationship with China. People yeah. were pointing it out. And, and I think the longer they were doing that, the more people would say, what about China, what about China? I mean, there's the worst human rights violator in the in the world is either China or people supported by China, and they pump money into the NBA, and the NBA takes it with glee. Skip, and, we... need, and it, it, it's horrible. It's horrible, and and I think I think they needed to do it, even if it makes them look bad. They needed to do it. Yeah. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, they averaged 2.86 million primetime viewers, up 7.6 percent from last season's first round. This is from September in the Wall Street Journal. The NBA was up 7.6 percent. The NHL first round prime climb audience declined 3.7 percent. I had just read an article that the NBA ratings were at a 40 year low. Starved for sports yeah. viewers. Flock to the NBA, the NHL. This is from September 4th, 2020, the Wall Street Journal. All right. We'll I have to look into that because I literally well, you know just read. You know what it was? I think what I, Tony, I think what we read was in St. Louis. Blues ratings were up 15 No, I was reading an ESPN article, I think. Okay. I was not reading yeah, a local article. It, I've seen it all over the place. Which, the would, which would make sense because we don't have an yeah. NBA team. No, it would, but I, that's that. But, but, but we I, still have watched NBA. Right. We still watch the, the NBA viewership in St. Louis went down. I mean, we still watch it. But hey. I don't know if you saw a, a national article. I've heard that all over the place that NBA that, that the NBA viewership was down. Skip, 60 so seconds maybe, left. Maybe What's happening at Weber Chevrolet? So we've got uh, our Equinoxes continue to pour in. It's a great it's a great thing because it's the number one selling crossover in St. Louis, and we've got more of them than anybody. It's really fun because this is very late in the year to be get to be still having 2020s on our lot, but we're still getting them. And so you got the 2020 closeout pricing, but it's uh, but it's they're brand new. I mean they're they're off the truck, and there's huge selection. And it's just that combination is very very rare. It's not. I say it every week. It's not the only thing by any means that we have for sale. We have great prices on everything, Colorado and Camaro and Traverse. Of course, the Silverado. Big resurgence in Silverado uh, uh, shipments, too. But I just love talking about the Equinox because it's so popular, and we have so many of them, and it's just like the, it's like the kind of the focal point. Great stuff. Skip Weber, Weber Chevrolet, and, of course, tonight we'll be listening to the Saturday Evening Rock Show. And like I said, hopefully next week we're all back together and we'll have a new edition of the Weird News Challenge. Skip, thanks so much for your time, buddy. Thanks, guys. Take care. You bet. And we'll be right back with more. We'll talk to our buddy Brian Agers when we get back on the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Even without Chris here, it's impossible to really get started until after the moment here. Yeah! Welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo in studio with producer Frank Ladd. We were checking it out during the break. We're arguing, not arguing, talking in that last segment. Yeah. 
about uh, the NBA ratings, and it's the finals, the NBA finals ratings that are so terrible. So uh, the article that you found about the ratings being up earlier in the playoffs is right, but uh, the ratings in the finals have been have been really, really bad. Uh, we have had a great show this week. If you missed anything on this week's weekend report, make sure you check out our podcast on the radio.com app. Uh, Chris Arps, who is in Maine, my co-host, uh, is doing some work in New England right now, joined us for most of the first hour, and we had a chance to talk to Senator Ted Cruz in that first hour. We also talked to Gabe Pfeiffer from the St. John the Philosopher YouTube channel a little bit earlier this hour as we uh, continued to digest the vice presidential debate. And uh, in that last segment, we got a chance to talk to Skip Weber about the passing of Eddie Van Halen and uh, that NBA ratings discussion that we just had as well. Joining us now on the line, as I mentioned, one of the great sponsors of this show and a good friend of mine, Brian Agers from Agers HVAC. Brian, how's, how's it going? I am doing well. How are you doing? I am doing good, and um, we only have a few minutes here, and I have a story to tell. I have been saying uh, to people over the last few weeks, as the weather has changed, I've been saying, hey, you know, you may be turning your furnace on for the first time in a long time, and maybe something goes wrong. Maybe it doesn't work, or maybe there's something happening that... uh, uh, needs to be looked at and how you guys, Agers HVAC, is the place to go. And that's exactly what I was warning people about is exactly what happened to me. I turned on, uh, my wife turned on our furnace about a week ago for the first time, and it was blowing cold air. And I wasn't home, and apparently it was on all day and never warmed up. And so I called Brian. Brian came out for a service call. <laughs> I said to Brian, I think it's the pilot light. And Brian said, furnaces don't have pilot lights. And I said, I think this one does. And it sure did. And it Well, they haven't <laughs> had pilot lights in an incredibly long time. So it was I think the right. furnace is actually older than you are. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're you're like, uh, oh, it's not the pilot light. They don't they don't do that anymore. And and I was like, I think it is. And you were like, No way. You don't, there's no way you have something that old in your house and then went downstairs and the look on your face when you saw that it was a pilot light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was surprised. I didn't. You I know didn't what? Think, uh... <laughs> I gotta say though, I gotta give you some credit. Like you knew exactly. So if this thing is so old that you didn't even think they were out there anymore, you still knew exactly what to do every step of the way. Like, okay, well, I can't believe that I'm looking at this antique, but here's what you do, and. Mm-hmm. It was like it was like something you it was something like it looked like you'd worked on those every single day. It, so I was well, you know, absolutely yeah. I, impressed. I'm not new to the trade, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> early in my career, I I played with more uh, pilot light furnaces than I care to to remember. But yeah, I know uh, I know exactly what to do with them. I'm just stunned that you have something that old in your house. So thanks to you guys, I'm I'm back up and running and we had our little uh, hiccup here at the beginning of the season and, and you got us back on track. Um, is that something that is, is common when you're making a switch of the seasons like this? Is there, uh, does that happen a lot of time? Do things go bad when, when the system sits dormant for a while? It certainly can, um, especially on a pilot light system um, because, you know, you have all summer long for a wind to come along or a storm that will uh, push air down the uh, venting, and the next thing you know, it blows the pilot light out. So that's not uh, terribly uncommon at all. 
And then, um, you know, some people even have that happen with their water heaters. But now that we have um, automatic ignition on furnaces, that's not something that typically happens. But, you know, one of the things that I think people um, don't realize is that we average about 20 power surges a day into our home. Mm. And they vary in, you know, what kind of a surge it is. Most of them are small and almost immeasurable. But occasionally you get one that comes in that can uh, cause some confusion in the electronics board or it can actually damage the board. So, um, it, you know, it does happen when things sit for a while and you go to turn it on that they yeah. don't work. So, of course, you can. You guys are, are there for people that need some repairs done or somebody to look at their existing system. Um, and you talked about, you, you and I talked about, obviously, the... A tremendous upgrade I could get from a new system, but you don't have to have a system from the 50s to take advantage of some of the uh, amazing upgrades and technology and some of the things that you guys offer there at Agers. Uh, uh, in the last couple minutes, while we still have some, tell people about that new those new systems that you have and, and how much money can be saved. Even if your system's not that old, uh, we've still made some tremendous strides here recently. Yeah, so uh, basically, and I try never to overstate what I think the efficiency is going to be. So, you know, I regularly tell people, based on what you are what you have now and what you're looking to upgrade to, you may save 60% on your cooling bill. And I've had people who have contacted me later and told me, actually, if you look at year over year and then calculate degree days and really compare apples to apples, I was saving closer to 70% on what I was spending on air conditioning before. So when you when you look at that, um, equipment just about pays for itself, and, and eventually it will. And so in today's dollars, what we're seeing is the average house that installs high-efficiency equipment is going to save about, and this, again, is today's pricing because we don't know what utility prices are going to do in the future, but we can assume that they're going to go up. But we're seeing somewhere around $25,000 projected savings on your utility costs in the lifetime of that piece of equipment. And if you want to look at these new systems, uh, Agers customers don't even need to leave their home. You will bring the mobile showroom to somebody's house and give them a chance to touch and feel and hear the blowers kick on of all these different uh, new systems and the different options that could go in somebody's house. And they don't have to go anywhere. And I think that that piece of equipment that you have is is just obvious uh, um, uh, to the dedication you guys have to customer service that you're willing to take all the time and effort to build that thing and bring it to people's houses so they don't even have to move if they are interested in getting a new system. Yeah, it's it's uh, on a regular basis. It stuns people when we show up to their house. I yeah. mean, we tell them about it, but then they get on it and they're like, oh, wait, this is way way different than what I expected you to bring. And uh, it really opens people's eyes on what the uh, product mix is and what's available on the market today. Yeah. And it, it really is such a cool way. You know, we, we, I've talked about the project that we did that you did uh, for my mom's house. And I was there when she got a chance to go on, uh, get in the mobile showroom and look at all the different systems. And it just is a perfect way to look at the different options and, of course, make the right decision for your home and for your budget. It's not like you show up with the two most expensive systems and say, 
here's what you can do. There's, there's right, take it or leave it. Yeah, there, exactly. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah. there, uh, you, you. You represent uh, basically every option on the mobile showroom. We do, and we let the customers choose what works best for their budget yep. and what works best for their family. I'm not there to twist anybody's arm. You can pick whatever you want. It doesn't make. I mean, obviously, right. we like to see people buy high efficiency. We like to see people buy things that are going to make their house more comfortable uh, because that just generates a more positive response when somebody says, oh, I'm looking for a heating and air conditioning company. Well, let me tell you about mine because, man, the stuff they put in is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we, we like to see people get nice stuff, but at the end of the day, it's up to you what, you, what you're going to purchase. So, Brian, we got to wrap it up, but if somebody is having some issues with their system or think it might be time to put in a new system, what's the best way to get a hold of Eggers HVAC? You can always call our office at 636-681-1976, or you can go online at callagers.com, and you can even book uh, appointments right there on the schedule button, and uh, the calendar will uh, autofill and tell you when we have availability, and you don't even have to talk to us on the phone if you don't want to. Perfect. That's awesome. We welcome your call. Yeah. Check them out at callagers.com. Brian Agers, great to talk with you, my friend. Looking forward to talking to you again soon. You bet. Thanks, sir. All right. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of The Weekend Report. For my partner, Chris Arps, and my producer, Frank Ladd, I'm Tony Colombo. Thank you so much for listening to The Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. We'll see you back here next week. Have a great rest of your weekend. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 